Hello, and welcome to this episode of Special Advising, No Parent Left Behind. I'm your host, Mark Ingracia, and I have over 34 years of experience as a classroom teacher, parent coach, and advocate. This is a podcast for parents and caregivers of children along the spectrum of disabilities, but welcomes everyone interested in learning about topics from the world of exceptional needs, educational services, health and wellness, fitness, nutrition for you and your child, and more. Thank you so much for joining me, and if you like the show, please subscribe, like, comment, and tell your friends about it. Your feedback is important because it tells me what the relevant information is that you want to hear. Today I'm going to present a tip for dealing with how to manage self-criticism and self-judgment that can snowball into periods in which you may feel hopeless, lost, or ineffective. The idea of which is based on living in reality versus what we imagine or convince ourselves to be true. After that, stay tuned for a tip of the cap, your exceptional needs parenting tip, followed by your good news community share. And for an extra resource to help inform your journey, visit the resource page of my website, specialadrising.com. So let's let our feelings be as we make room for another win. We all go through our days making choices that will have an impact on our future, even five minutes in the future, from what to eat for breakfast to should I take that job. We make big and little decisions that move our life along. Sometimes the result of those decisions and choices are very positive, and sometimes we can get on a roll. When on a roll, we tend to feel really good about ourselves, and that impacts our confidence. Confident selves can do so much in allow us to see the world in terms of opportunities where we can apply our best selves and be rewarded personally, professionally, monetarily, or symbolically. It can motivate us. Nothing feels better than when we're on a roll. And when this is happening, we don't usually linger on the whys or the hows in regard to the explanations for our successes. We tend not to judge ourselves because our natural inclination when we're happy or pleased is to embrace and not question it we tend not to assess why things are going right. Conversely, when we are faltering through our days, some of us can be incredibly hard on ourselves, asking the eternal question, why me? We may search for answers as we question if there's something wrong with us. We may berate ourselves for being unable to put a string of successes together or not being able to easily do some of the basic tasks in our day, which can then distract us from looking forward with hope. We begin to look at each individual setback as the be-all. But what if we step back to look at the bigger picture? A crux in a negative spiral can be an inability to take on responsibilities or tasks and move them forward without getting off track due to a lack of clarity of focus and the agility to organize thoughts as the negatives mount. I had a conversation with a friend recently about these ups and downs and getting stuck in the negative depressed zone due to recurring mishaps and the hardship of getting stuck believing that as mishaps mount, it's a sign of something wrong with the person experiencing them. It occurred to me as we spoke that we could all benefit by taking a step back and reserving judgment on each and every instance where something goes wrong. Maybe be a little kinder to or more compassionate with ourselves. For example, maybe you drop a different object three days in a row and they all break. After the first time, you might think how clumsy you are and forget it. But then that third time and quick succession happens and suddenly you startle yourself to consider, is there something wrong with me? Why can't I hold on to things? This actually happened to me recently when I dropped and broke two drinking mugs in consecutive days. 
These perseverative thoughts can sidetrack you and level your day and days to come as the thoughts meander in and around your mind, causing you to maybe have low energy or raise stress and anxiety intensity and demotivate you. Now, that example might seem a stretch for some, but for others, not so much. However, the point being that by focusing on each instance of self-perceived failure, we limit our focus and suddenly our worlds become quite small and our thinking restrictive, which can then handcuff our efforts to rise out of the gloom. What if you were able to apply the respond versus react equation here? What if, instead of reacting with judgment, which is limiting, we respond with awareness, which gives space for thoughts and feelings to move around and exist in, in the open air of our minds, freeing them to be as you coexist? By taking away the judgment and giving room for our feelings and thoughts, we relieve them of the power that we grant them should we take them seriously. You might ask, okay, I get it, sort of, but now what? And my answer to that is time and space, meaning giving room. Why not prolong judgment by giving yourself permission to assess a larger sample of behavior and consequence over an extended period of time? If every mishap or feeling is a red flag for an ailment, a misgiving about our abilities, or a message that we're not worthy, then in a sense, we die on that sword. Let's look back at the dropping example. If given more time to assess and observe those three drops, we might discover that instead of them indicating the start to a pattern pointing to a problem, while intense in the cluster at first, they may have simply been a blip in those days. Perhaps you had a bad week. Maybe your focus was off because your mind was elsewhere. So many possibilities, including that sometimes things like that just happen. If over the course of the following three weeks, or you pick a time frame that makes sense to you, you don't drop anything again, I believe that's a pretty decent sample size and information, data if you will, that paints a clearer picture of reality. I'm not trying to minimize a person's concerns, but rather suggesting to give time to see patterns or reoccurrences of behaviors, etc. Looking back, if we harp on each instance of a, quote, fail, we're sacrificing time through worry, and that becomes time not used for something more fulfilling. And this is hard. I'm not saying it isn't. Panicking in a moment of, oh, shoot, not again, or what's happening, is natural for a lot of people. But if we can make a deal with ourselves that we leave the worry to exist, but not act on it until we have a larger sample size of time and space to see patterns of whatever it is that's concerning us, we live more in reality. We are very inventive creatures, and our imaginations can be enormous, and they can sweep us off of our feet in very creatively horrible ways, causing a variety of uncomfortable and undesirable consequences. Time and space. About 10 years ago, I was diagnosed with an anxiety disorder that I had to work really hard to manage and to come to accept and ultimately embrace. Anxiety can be stultifying. It can lay you bare in every way. It can break you, if you let it. I refused to let it despite feeling the cracks. I fell, but I got up off the mat and I learned to live with it by giving it a room in my house to hang out and root in its own filth but I learned that I didn't have to listen to it. It could talk all it wanted, but by letting it talk and me not act on what it was telling me to do, I weakened it. 
I stopped pushing against it and trying to get rid of the uncomfortable feelings, both mental and physical. By allowing negative thoughts to exist, I took away the power they held over me and my body relaxed. I learned to give time and space to let the feelings settle and see what was real in the end. Time and space. I gave space and time to see trends and discover that my worst fears hadn't materialized. I discovered that my mind's eye was so creative, both full of color and black and white, so vivid as to be terrifying. But over this time, these creations turned out to be just that. And the days were just days, and I was wasting them by living in a fear fantasy. I remember pre-disorder, I would see the world in terms of paintings, landscapes, buildings, people. As an artist, I pictured these images on the canvas full of color and life affirming beauty. Even scenes of drab and squalor, I saw beauty in the expression of all environments. When I began my descent into the abyss of anxiety's throttled grip, all of this beauty was gone. I was blinded by my every moment of fear, too busy to see beyond it. And I lost the world, and I stopped thinking as an artist, and I lost my freedom. Sort of like how an addiction can consume a person, the anxiety consumed me and tried to rule me. But I fought back, and my armor was the act of letting go. In addition to time and space, I didn't give up on my desire to live again. I saw this as something that took my life as I knew it from me, and I wanted it back. I wanted to function again, with and without fears. Trust me that the fears don't necessarily disappear entirely, but you learn to live with them and not feed the beast. In time, they weigh less on you and you can emerge fully functional and productive. But it takes time, and sometimes years, but don't give up. Get involved in out-of-the-home activities if possible. Be around people. That's what helped me the most, and looking back, it relates to the larger sample of time I spoke of. In this case, years, but over the course of the hardest years, there were constant breakthroughs, and the larger the sample size got, the more I was informed about how I wasn't lost forever. Managing our self-impressions, our self-criticisms and self-judgments, our anxieties, etc., can be a lifetime engagement with an enemy, or, if allowed to be, it can be a lifetime of growth through adversity and an opportunity to grow stronger to become a more compassionate person with ourselves and ultimately with others. Everyone is different. My suggestions may not be suitable for everyone. If you're dealing with ADHD or an emotional disorder, there are other paths that will suit you better. But time and space, if understood as a pathway, may be able to give you some room to breathe as you walk your journey and try to see with joy all the colors that surround you. It's time now for a tip of the cap, your exceptional needs parenting tip. Today's tip comes from sacraparental.com. Even with the best and kindest parents in the world, most kids will be on the receiving end of an order command, or direction hundreds of times a day. Cultural norms let us issue orders to kids all day long about big and small things. But cultural norms are made to be changed. Parents of small kids are still the leader in the relationship, at least some of the time. 
though perhaps we don't need to be nearly as much as we tend to. For times when we as parents are initiating action, trying to get the show on the road, the dinner on the table, the bacteria washed off, the toys put away, we can use positive communication phrasing to invite rather than command. We can easily change all of these benign orders in that list into friendly invitations to teamwork. Number one, shall we get up now? With the understanding that the answer might be yes or no. Number two, when you hop down, we can go and get ready for our trip. Number three, shall we put these away so no one trips over them? Number four, I've got the cereal and the milk. Can you please get your bowl? Then we'll have everything we need. Number five, you're getting good at remembering to wash your hands, aren't you? Do you want me to turn the tap on for you, or will you do it yourself? Number six, we'll all need shoes today because it's so cold. Where are yours? Number seven, your face is covered in smoothie. What shall we do about that? Number eight, I've got something I want to talk to you about. Do you want to come and hear it? Remember, kids learn what they hear and see. So let's model cooperative communication and invite kids to get on board. Today's Good News Community Share comes from goodnewsnetwork.org. It's entitled, A Pioneering Set of Wearable Muscles with a Profile Similar to a Shoulder Sling Could Increase Mobility and Strength in the Arms of People Who Have Lost It. Michael Hagman has a rare form of muscular dystrophy called Bethlehem myopathy, but his muscular output was increased 61% thanks to a kind of exotendon called myoshirt, which learns the movements Hagman wants to make before raising and lowering a cable similar to a human tendon in order to apply mechanical advantage to his actions. Marie Georgiarakis, a former doctoral student at the Swiss Federal Institute for Technology Sensory Motor Systems Lab in Zurich, says, There are a few technical aids that patients can use directly in their everyday lives and draw on for assistance in performing exercises at home. We want to close this gap. The mile shirt is a soft, wearable exomuscle for the arms and shoulders, a kind of vest with cuffs for the upper arms accompanied by a small box containing all the technology that's not used directly on the body. At the moment, the box containing the motor and computer parts weighs close to 9 pounds, so the team's first priority is to develop a full prototype with an even more discreet profile to allow people to use it in day-to-day life as often as possible. I want to thank you again for listening to this episode, and I hope you'll join me each week to hear about topics new to you or close to your heart. I hope this podcast might inspire you to face your days more confidently, stirring a greater sense of self-love, mindfulness, an outpouring of goodness, and positive role modeling for your children, while remembering to attend to the areas of your own mental, physical, and if you're inclined, spiritual health, enabling you to be all you hope to be for them. All music heard on today's show comes from Jason Shaw at Audionautics.com. Remember to follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Special Advising and on my website, specialadvising.com. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends. You can contact me directly with questions, comments, or if you're interested in parent coaching through my email, specialadvising at gmail.com. 
or my contact pages on Facebook or my website. If you'd like to share some of your success stories with the audience, please send them to my email. Let's show the world what's possible. Also, let me know if there's anything you'd like to learn more about. And until next time, peace and keep rising. Oh,